0: Good evening. We are continuing through the Gospel of John and we are in chapter 8. And we're going to start from verse 12 where we left off. Remember, last week we talked about the woman who was caught in adultery, brought before Jesus in order to trap him. And we saw again the heart of God towards us, towards sin. We saw that. Man will always try and control and uh, use people for their own gain, but God actually cares about people and wanting what is best for them. And this continues in that theme where we saw Jesus would not judge and they were asking him to judge. And now we're going to see that they're actually going to start judging Jesus. And we're going to read through the whole passage because I want to capture the tension that is taking place because this really starts to build up. As Jesus is talking, he says some things that are going to provoke them to ask questions like, who are you? Where do you come from? What are you talking about? And his answers start off subtle, but they crescendo at the end where there's no doubt left of what he's talking about. And you see him trying to weave his way through this conversation, trying to give them glimpses of the truth, and then them coming back. And there's this kind of back and forth that takes place with Jesus and the religious leaders, the Pharisees, as well as some of the people who are in the crowd. And so there's a lot going on in this time, and I don't want to interrupt it, and I hope we can kind of enter into the dynamics of this conversation And see how it builds up. And as we go through this, I want you to be thinking, okay? Imagine yourself in this situation. And if there are some things that Jesus says that strike you as, what does that mean? Write those things down so we can talk about them, okay? Because there's a lot in here that we can talk about. But let's start reading. But before we start, let's take another moment and pray. Father, the power of the things that we are about to read have changed countless lives throughout history, and Lord, as we read them tonight, we ask that they would change our lives as well, that the power of these words and the meaning and importance of them would echo in our own souls, and we thank you for this opportunity to gather together to Remember, rehearse these things and talk about them, and we do in Jesus' name, amen. Now remember, this is taking place at the temple, there's a lot going on, the Feast of Tabernacles is here, so there's a lot of people around, so a lot of commotion is going on, and Jesus is there, and it says in verse 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, so this is to a mixed crowd, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify of my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. "'You judge by human standards. "'I pass judgment on no one. "'But if I do judge, my decisions are true, "'because I am not alone. "'I stand with the Father who sent me. "'In your own law, it is written "'that the testimony of two witnesses is true. "'I am one who testifies for myself. "'My other witness is the Father who sent me.' "'They asked him, where is your Father?' You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask. Will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. You will indeed die in your sins. Who are you? They asked. Just what I have been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy, and what I have heard from him I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases Him. Even as He spoke, many believed in Him. To the Jews who had believed Him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and we have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus said, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. "'Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? "'If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? "'Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. "'The reason you do not hear "'is that you do not belong to God.' "'The Jews answered him, "'Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan "'and demon-possessed? "'I am not possessed by a demon,' said Jesus.' But I honor my father, and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaimed, Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets, yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death? Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him. And you have seen Abraham? Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. So, a powerful exchange that takes place here with Jesus, the crowd, and the Pharisees. And before we dive into it, are there questions that you have regarding this passage that you would like a little clarity on? I'm not saying I can give it, but we can give it a try. Just anything? Nothing stood out to you guys? You guys are easy crowd. <laughs> okay, well, as I start going on, if some things stand out to you, raise your hand and you can chime in. We know that John in his gospel at the very beginning was wanting to make known the deity of who Christ was. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That John is pointing... To this throughout his gospel. Not only is he pointing to the fact that Jesus is divine, he is also showing us that Jesus is going to be reaching the world, not just the Jews. Remember, his gospel was written for both Jews and Gentiles. And so, this dialogue that's taking place is going to bring us to that understanding. And as we notice how many times we see the word I am take place. He starts off subtly, but he finally ends in the crescendo before Abraham was, I am. There was no mistake in the Jewish mind of what he meant. Those were God's words used in Exodus to Moses. Who should I say has sent me when Moses inquired of God? When I go back to tell the people and God told Moses, tell them, I am that I am has sent you. And so that phrase belonged to God. But he starts alluding to that all along because what he's trying to do is get us to see the importance of who he is. You know, imagine you were there at the time and Jesus holds up a seed and he asks you, what do you see? And we would say, well, it's a seed. And he says, no, look closer. What do you see? And you sit there and you look at it a little closer and you think, it's still a seed, it's a seed. And Jesus then tells us, you're looking at the appearance. Look closer. And so you start looking and all of a sudden a light bulb comes off in your head, although they didn't have light bulbs back then. A a candle ignites. And all of a sudden you realize that within that seed is the ability for life to grow. And so you say, I I see the, the germination of life. And he says, yes. You were looking at the outside, but you were missing what was really there. And that's what he is doing throughout his dialogue, not only with the religious leaders, but with the people. The people keep looking to see their Messiah who looks like this the appearance. And so he didn't want to cater to a misguided perception. That's why he kept covering his words. That's why he kept leaving and going to different places because they were looking at him in one way and it wasn't the right way. They were seeing the appearance, but they weren't seeing who he really was. And what was important wasn't just the things he did. The importance was who he was. And so he starts off by saying things like, I am the light of the world. That's a bold statement. And they're like, okay, if you're going to say that, prove it. We want testimony. Testimony. And again, at the feast there in the tabernacle, as the water we talked about would be going down, there would also be a giant menorah where they would light the candles and they would be all lit up all around the place. So you have all these little tabernacles and booths, these little tents that they're dwelling in that are all lit up. And Jesus there at the culmination, when they bring these lights down to light the menorah says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so he's not talking about physical light. He's talking about a spiritual truth. And so his words stand out. The light of the world walk in darkness, and they're like, who are you? Your testimony can't be valid because you know, you're know you just testifying of yourself. And we would think the same thing. If I were to tell you, you know, hey, I'm the light of the world, you'd say, "Um, can I get a second opinion? You know, I'd like to know. Let me talk to your wife. No, the answer is no, you're not. And and so they challenge him. And Jesus answered, even if I did testify on my own behalf, my testimony would be valid. And, And this is interesting because a person's identity Who we are is based on our past or our memory, the things that have happened, and the things that are currently happening, but we don't know what's going to happen, and so our destiny is still hidden. So for us to truly tell our identity, we don't even know. Ten years ago, I had no idea I would be a dog trainer. And so if you were to ask me 10 years ago, what is your identity, who you are, who are you, I could tell you, well, this is who I am at this moment, but I don't know who I'll be in 10 years. And none of us do. We know where we've been and we know where we are, but we don't know where we're going. See, Jesus knew where he'd come from, what he was doing, and he also knew where he was going. And so his identity was sure. He could testify about who he was because his identity was certain. It wasn't, well, what will happen to Jesus? Maybe he'll go into, you know, carpentry like his father. No, he knew where he was going. He knew his identity. He knew where he'd come from. And so his testimony about himself is valid because the knowledge of himself is valid where our knowledge of ourselves is limited. And so he says, my testimony is valid for I know where I came from and where I'm going. See, I I know who I am and I can tell you who I am because it's certain it's valid. It's something that is going to happen. And this is actually yet another claim to deity. And, And he's really letting them know that I'm in charge of my own destiny. And he's, again, submitted to God, but he knows what God is doing and what God is going to do. And so his identity is sure. And that's why he can say, my testimony is true, because I know who I am. I know where I'm going. It's solid. But they had no idea. You don't know where I'm coming from. You you judge and this word judge, remember they asked him to judge the woman caught in adultery, and now they're judging him. And, and so they're trying to bring this judgment on him. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my judgment then and decisions are true because I have the information. You're judging On human standards, you're seeing the seed, but you don't see what I'm talking about. You're looking at things, but you're not looking deep enough. You're not hearing what I'm really saying. And so how can you pass judgment when you're not even certain of what you're talking about? Have you ever known people like that? Where they judge and you don't know what I've gone through. You don't know what I'm doing, but you're passing judgment. And so Jesus knows. That's why his judgment is true. And he even says, I love, he goes, I I'm, I pass judgment on no one. Remember the woman caught in adultery? I didn't pass judgment on her. But if I do judge, it's true. And again, what Jesus is doing is as a man entrusting God for the judgment, he's not here to judge. Remember that in John 3:18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. And so the truth of who he is is what judges us. And we talked about that when we were in chapter three, how if there is a masterpiece, a painting that's a masterpiece and it's in a museum somewhere and you go up to it and you say, well, you know, I don't really think it's that great. You're passing judgment on a masterpiece. Well, actually, the masterpiece is passing judgment on you because everyone in history has deemed it a masterpiece. You just don't see it. And so it already stands as a masterpiece, as priceless, And so it actually judges your standard, not the other way around. And that's similar to what Jesus was talking about. And so here he's telling them, you know, you're judging to human standards. My decisions are true because I'm not alone. I'm with the Father. And so he starts bringing this dynamic of the Father. In your own law, you've written two witnesses. I'm one who testifies. The other witness is the Father who sent me. Now, how was the Father Witnessing that Jesus was his son. What witness did the father give to Jesus? He was baptized. Mine. So there was the father giving him that word. What other things could be marked as or seen as the father giving approval? What's that? Miracles, miracles right? Okay, Jesus did miracles. He healed the man who was lame, fed the thousands. That's good witness there. That's God saying, yep, my approval, especially to the Jewish people, because the Messiah was going to open the eyes of the blind, heal the lame, and proclaim good news to those who were poor and in distress. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing. So Their own words in their own scripture were testifying that he was indeed from God. And so Jesus is saying, it's not just me here. God is testifying about who I am. He's witnessing about me. And again, that word witnessing means he's bearing witness, confirming that. Then they asked him, where is your father? Now, later on, they're going to say, aren't we right to assume that you're a Samaritan and demon-possessed? And so, there is this issue with Jesus' father in their mind. Because they don't know who his father is. They know that Mary was pregnant, and they know that it wasn't of Joseph. So in their mind, you're illegitimate. And there was even a rumor that Jesus' father or Mary's had uh, relations with a Gentile, and that's why they used the word Samaritan. It's just a rumor. They're just trying to sling mud at him. And they're like, we don't know who your father is. Aren't we right in saying this? And so they ask him, who's your father? And you can see they're chiding him, trying to get him to bring this out. Where is your father? And he says, you don't know me, Jesus. If you knew me, you would know my father. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple. And and so Jesus said, if you knew me, you would know my father. And he goes back and forth with this dynamic of I am from my father, and the reason you don't know me is because you don't know my father. And then he says in verse 23, you are from below, I am from above. You are of the world, I am not of the world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. You will die in your sins. Why does Jesus say this? What did he want them and us to know in this statement? He wanted us to know something. And it has to do with how they were seeing things. What do you think he's trying to get to? If you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So when he, he says... Him, the okay. So believing in him, believing what about him? That he is the Messiah that he is the Christ, not only is he the Messiah, that he is God, that he is divine. Yeah, he is the one. If you don't see me, and when he says something, you will die in your sins. What does that mean? What comes up to your mind when you say, hear that word, die in your sins? Does that mean like, okay, I'm going to die, you know, uh, drunk. I'm going to die like the woman adulterer. I'm going to die. Is that what he's talking about? What does the word sin mean? Falling short. Falling short. Ultimately, I have redemption. Okay. Okay, so if we do not believe that he is the Messiah, divine, God established, then we will fall short of living the life that we are supposed to live. We will die in our sins. We will die missing the point of life because we missed the one who God sent. And so what Jesus is doing here is giving, again, a lot of validity to who he is, because if we don't recognize it, then we will miss the mark of what our life's intention is supposed to be. We will die in our sins. If you do not believe I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. And so chapter 7, verse 24, he said, stop judging by mere appearances but instead judge correctly. In verse 28, he says, you know me and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. He says, you judge by human standards. And so Jesus is trying to get us to see who he is. And he's telling us, stop judging by mere appearances. Stop thinking of me In this way you need to change your thoughts of who I am because I am NOT who you have made me out to be and if you don't recognize who I really am you will fall short in every area of your life and so he is pushing them again to this divinity he is establishing himself paramount in this conversation and that's why they ask in verse 25 who are you just tell us who you are now why didn't he just say i'm the messiah i'm the christ i'm god established in human flesh why do you think he isn't saying that remember the illustration of the seed what do you see I see a seed. No. You see, what do you see? Oh, we see the Messiah. What is your thought of the Messiah? Oh, it's this. No. That's not what's going to happen. That's not who I am. And so again, they didn't have the concept of the death. They didn't have a concept of his crucifixion. They didn't have the concept of the suffering Messiah. They were not seeing things clearly. And if he were to say, yes, I am this, their mind would immediately go to what their conception is instead of what the reality of what he was doing was. And so he doesn't come out and say, this is who I am, because their idea of that is just a seed. They're not seeing what it contains what he contains and what his purpose is. And so they didn't understand what he was saying to them. And, and he goes on and he just continues this dialogue. When I'm lifted up, in verse 28, the Son of Man, you will know that I am he. He keeps saying this, I am he. I am who? I am, I am not only the Messiah, that I am, in fact, God. When I'm lifted up, what, what, Are the cross, the resurrection, yeah. When I am lifted up, you'll see who I really am. Right now, you're judging by mere appearances. Right now, you're not seeing things clearly. I don't do anything. I don't say anything except for what the Father has taught me. Verse 29, the one who sent me is with me, and he has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him, even as he spoke. Many believed in him. So here's the dynamic. A lot of people heard these things, and they believed in him. In other words, they saw, we trust what he is saying. They were connecting to him. To what degree and level, we're not sure, but they believed in him. They said, I, I'm with this guy. What he says rings true to me. To the Jews who had believed, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. What teaching? What teaching do we have to hold to to really be his disciples? What, what's he talking about? Who he is. If you hold to my teaching that this is who I am, then you're my disciples. Okay, this is how we become his disciples, by believing in what he says, believing the truth about who he is. That's what makes you a disciple. Okay, it's not because if you do these things, remember, what is the works of God? Believe on the one who he has sent, Right? Who is he sent? The Messiah. God has stepped into human flesh. God among us. That's who I am. And then he says, "Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free." Isn't that a beautiful verse? Again, their comeback is, "We're we're children of Abraham. We're free." But you know, you can live in communist Korea and be freer than a person who lives in Bel Air in the United States. You can be in the most impoverished nation in the world and be freer than a person who lives in a country that has all the, quote, freedoms that we have. I mean, there are bondages to uh, addictions to chemical addictions there's a bondage to uh, anxiety there is bondage to fear there are, are so many things that we can be bondage under and we all need freedom we all need the freedom to that Jesus allows and, and affords to us and so If we know the truth about who he is, then that truth can set us free. The truth is that God has given us his son, the truth that God has dwelt among us, the truth that God has paid the ransom for us. Those are the truths that can set our souls free. Those are the truths that can release us from whatever it is we are under in spite of whatever condition we are in. You see, but they couldn't see that. All they saw is our religious right. We are Abraham's seed. We are this. Now, it's not very far away that Christians do the same thing. Instead of having this understanding of who christ is we say well because i'm a christian i'm not going to hell therefore i'm free and yet i know a lot of christians who live in bondage who live under a lot of weight of oppression who live with a false conception of what it means to be free, who thinks freedom is something that you have or get based on material things, the appearances, on the outer part of that shell instead of the the true character that God wants to provide for us. And so we have to be careful that we don't point the finger at these religious people and say, yeah, they blew it, they blew it, because we can be in the same situation, we, we can be right there along with them and saying, yeah, we're Christians, so we don't have to worry about judgment. Yeah, we're Christians, but are you trusting in the truth about who Jesus is? Or are you trusting now in your theology? Are you trusting now in your uh, religious rituals? You know, I, I do these things, and therefore I'm right with God. Or are you really seeing Jesus for who he is? And there's always that need to push us to the heart of the matter and to the truth of these things. They were so adamant that they would not be considered slaves, even though they were dominated by Rome. Even though that they've had a history probably of more slavery than freedom. Out of all these people, the Jewish people We're under bondage through the Egyptians, the Babylonians, here the Romans, I mean, the Medo-Persians. There was a lot of oppression to the Jewish people, and yet they go, no, we're free, we're free. It's like, okay, you want to hold on to that, but you're not getting what I'm saying. And he says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Everyone whose life misses what it's supposed to be is a slave to sin, a slave has no permanent place. And so if you're not seeing who I am, he's talking to the Pharisees at this point, if you're not seeing the truth of who I am, then you don't have a permanent place in the family. If you don't see me clearly, then you don't know God and you are not a son, you're not in the family, and so you don't have a permanent place. But a son belongs to it forever. If you're a son, you're in the family. And so he's giving them, again, the validation of who he is. And so if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The son and the truth are the same. The truth sets you free if the son sets you free. The son is the truth, the revelation of who God is but they don't have word, verse 37. I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. What does he mean by my word? For him, the truth, the truth of who he is. Remember, a lot of the times when we see the the phrase, the word of God used in scripture, it's referring to the gospel, who Jesus is, what he came to do. And so if you're trying to kill me, you have no room for my word. In other words, your actions are stopping me from having a place in you. And this is important because there's a dynamic that's taking place here as he, he pushes further In verse thirty nine, Abraham is our father, they answered. If we if you were Abraham's children, then you would do what Abraham did. Abraham didn't go out and try and kill people. You're trying to kill me. You're lying about me. Those aren't things that Abraham did. You are doing the works of your own father. Now he's going to tell them that their father is the devil, right? And then notice their comeback to him in verse twenty one we are not illegitimate children. Ooh, what are they saying? Exactly, they're accusing Jesus of being illegitimate. We're not illegitimate children. They pro- remember who is your father? They protested. The only father we have is God Himself. Remember the the Hebrews, you know, all throughout their history, we are God's people. You know, Moses, let my people go, he would say to the Pharaoh. And so we belong to God himself. He is our father. And Jesus said, if God were your father, you would love me. For I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. And I love verse 43. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no, no truth in him. Now, what does he mean when he says, you belong to your father, the devil? I mean, that's pretty harsh words to say to the religious leaders of your day. You belong to the devil. Your father is the devil. What is he saying? <laughs> what does he mean when he says, your father is the devil? <laughs> Okay, yeah, he's definitely saying it figuratively. And there's something that's sparking him to say that. It's something that they're doing. He's mentioned it, and he, they're trying to kill him. Okay? They're trying to kill him. And and so it's interesting because what Jesus is doing is saying the person who does these things, like try to kill people, the people who engage in these acts that are attributed to what the devil has done, he was a murderer from the beginning, he was a liar when he lies, he's speaking his native tongue, then those things that they do connect them to that source. In other words, if you act like this, then you're in this family. Just like John said in 1 John, whoever loves is born of God and knows God because God is love. Right, Whoever does the opposite, they're connected. In other words, these good and perfect gifts come from the Father of lights. And if we do these things, we prove that we are children of our Father. And so the actions that someone does verifies what camp that they're actually in. If you're out trying to kill people, malign people, malicious, I don't care what title you give yourself, your father is the devil, Jesus would say. You're being influenced in the wrong camp. There's no separating what you're doing from who you are. And what you're doing is stopping the truth from entering into you. You see, it's a problem that we have where we think if we know the right things, that's enough. If I know the truth about who Jesus is, that's enough. But if I am living a life that is contrary to the truth and the life that God is living, then I am limiting in my own life the ability for God to work within me. We reap what we sow, and that happens whether people know about it or not. If you're living a a life that is given to uh, just things that are harmful to you or to others, and it's done in secret, do you think they have no effect on you whatsoever or no effect on your relationship with God? And so if these Pharisees, these religious leaders who knew the Scripture had in their mind to kill Jesus to protect their own status, what they were doing was stopping the truth of God from entering into their lives. They were putting up a wall because of what they wanted and what they did. So, say for example, my wife and I, we're we're married, love each other, and then I start to have an affair, but I keep it a secret from her. She doesn't know about this other woman. But I have this affair and I go to my wife and I say, oh, I love you, you're everything to me. Do you think that there is not gonna be any residual from this altered life that's going to affect the relationship I have with my wife? Do you think I can have as deep and as intimate and as meaningful a relationship with my wife if I am doing something else? No, what I'm doing is going to hinder the ability to get close to my wife because I'm going to be guarded. I'm going to be worried about what she thinks. Does she smell perfume? On my, I was going to say on my breath. That would be weird. Does she? I would have to be guarded. Why? Because I'm living a double life. And so the life I'm living is going to stop what relationship I can have with my life. The same thing happens in our relationship with God. Do you think you can go on lying, cheating, using people for your own good and say, yeah, me and God are close? See, Jesus is saying, your your father is the devil. You're lying. And he's not pulling punches and he's forcing them to deal with what is going on. Whoever belongs to God, hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. The reason you can't hear what I'm saying is because you're living in this camp and what you're doing is stopping the truth from coming into your life. Verse 48, the Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are Samaritan and demon possessed? Once again, there they are accusing Jesus' history and crediting what he's doing as just being mad. I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking to glorify for myself, But there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. Whoever sees the truth of who I am, whoever does the things that I am telling them, they will never see death. And again, what they're seeing, what they're hearing is that outside seed. Never see death. What are you talking about? At this they exclaim, now we know you're demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? Now they're pushing him. They're wanting to challenge him. Do you think, because Abraham, that's it for them. God made the covenant with Abraham. We are of Abraham's descendants. This is our heritage. This is what we lock into. Are you greater than who we're connected to? We're descendants of Abraham. And we're going to hold on to this. Are you greater than Abraham or the prophets? You're going to obey your word and never see death? Are you greater than them? He died. So did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Now they could only see the outside seed. And Jesus is trying to get to the heart of the matter. Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as... Do you get the picture that Jesus keeps uh, scooting away? It's like, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. Not yet. Not yet. And they keep pushing and pushing and pushing. Does it strike you that way? It's like, well, okay, let me go back to this. You know, who do you think he are? Why doesn't he just say, I am? Okay, that's it. I am. End of story. He, says, he keeps verifying who he is by, God will show you who I am. God is going to verify that. If I glorify myself, it means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. He glorifies me. He's going to glorify me through the resurrection. He's glorifying me through the miracles that I do. He glorifies me by the things that you see happening and the people who are hearing the truth. That's how God is glorifying me. That's what's happening. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I didn't know him, I'd be a liar like you. I love that. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. And so now he's saying, Abraham, who you link to, saw what I'm talking about and was glad. Now, when did Abraham see this day? What What do you think he means? Yeah, the the covenant that God made with him, the promise that God gave to Abraham. But it's a present, in other words, Abraham saw this. It wasn't like he was just told that someday he heard of it, but he also saw this day. And so he saw that day, it could be a number of things, but most likely it's when God made that covenant with Abraham. There's a number of instances where God had encounters with Abraham. And so He saw this day and was glad. And again, they could only see the outside. You're not even 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? And he says, before Abraham was born, I am. And that's when it hits the fan. That's the truth. This is the end of the argument. You want to know who I am? This is who I am. I am. And with that, it stood out. They picked up stones to try and kill him because they were so enraged. And so you can tell the tension of this argument is developing and developing. And finally they say, okay, we've got to kill him. And he slipped away from among them. Now, I want to end with this thought. Jesus started off this dialogue saying, I am the light of the world. Does that remind you of something else he said in chapter 5 about us? You are the light of the world. Now, is there a difference? Yes. In, in the context here, he's talking about he himself being the light. In Matthew, he's talking about we are the light of the world, a city that can't be hid, that we are to represent him to the world around us. But we are the light, we're not just a moon. Reflecting the light, like a lot of people like to say. No, he says, you are the light. In other words, the truth that is in Christ is to be the truth that is in us. The truth that will set us free. The truth that will enable us to live the life that God has called us to live. If we do not believe that he is, the I am, that God has established himself in the person of Jesus Christ, through the person of Jesus Christ then we will fail to live the lives that we are meant to live and we can never truly be the light of the world. And so this is why this is so important because who Jesus is becomes the identity of who we are to be. And so his father now becomes our father. The things that he does, we are to do. The life that he is living, we are supposed to continue living in his name. We're not divine by any means, but we get to share the life that God has given to Jesus because we believe in him and who he really is. See, the only way we can be the light of the world is if we believe in the light of the world. And so that's why this is so important. That's why John is taking so much effort to deal with this battle that's going on, because they could only see that outward shell. They couldn't see. And Jesus would say to us, do you see who I am? We say, oh, yeah, you're Jesus. You know, you lived, you know, a few thousand years ago. And I said, no, no, do you see who I am? Oh, you're the Messiah. You're the promised one of Israel. Yeah, it was foretold. Okay, but do you see who I am? Oh, you are life. You are the light of the world. You are God. The word made flesh. And then he could say, yes, that's who I am. And so this is a powerful truth. This is at the heart of our faith. We don't just believe in a man. We believe that God became flesh, that God stamped himself in human form and became a man. That's crazy. That is wild. That's what Jesus is asking us to believe. And it's an important belief. See, you can know all about De- Jesus' teaching, and it can do great things for you. I mean, his teachings are amazing, but his teachings point to who he is. They evolve or revolve around himself. He's, you can't separate the teachings of Jesus from who he is. It's the same. And that's what's so dynamic, you know, about him as opposed to other faiths or other beliefs. You know, Buddhism and Buddhist teachings. Oh, you don't have to have Buddha and have the Buddhist teachings or Confucius or whatever else. But you can't have the teachings of Jesus and cut them away from Jesus because he is at the core of what he was teaching. And so it's really important that we recognize that. And it is a truth that can truly set us free. Any questions? Okay. No. They're, They're talking about their lineage for their father, Abraham, and then God was the one who gave the covenant to Abraham, so they're linking those two things. They didn't think Abraham was God. Not in the Hebrew mind. That's what made it so hard for them to even identify Jesus in that way because God would not be a man. Other questions or thoughts? They did, and then notice that they didn't want to. They didn't give up trying to kill him. At that point, their minds are set. Yeah, and that's you know to me that was the most frightening thing. Is this was when he says, you know, you you can't believe because there's no room. Your own beliefs are stopping what God could do. I think of Jesus' words. when he looked over Jerusalem and he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who stoned the prophets, how I have longed to gather you as a hand gathers the chicks, but you would not. I wanted to, but you wouldn't let it. You see, the truth that Jesus had and who he was, they could not receive it because they made no room. And I wonder about ourselves if there are times when we don't have room for the truth of God because of our own belief system of how we see things, and if our own belief stops the truth of God from really impacting our lives. How much do we limit God and what he wants to do in and through us because of how we've made no room? This is all I see. And if I can't see the life that is there, I only see the seed, what's God going to do? I've made no room for him. And so I think that's an interesting thing. Yes, Lola. Yeah, I mean, our lives can definitely be cluttered with things that we believe and that can stop us from getting to the place. But but I think it's an amazing thing how Jesus has made it very clear on what is necessary, what is essential. And then there's a lot of things that are peripheral as far as belief. Um, We can get hung up. Like I think the Pharisees did on the tradition of things and on the so it 's like I know of Christians who believe in evolution, and some people say what you can 't be a Christian and believe in a, really you can 't is that the requirement, or is christ 's death for our sin able to cover even that lack of belief?" You know, I I remember having a dialogue, just because I like to do this, um, with someone and they were talking, and it was on a political uh, sphere, and and they were talking about, well, you know, so-and-so believes in abortion, and so, you know, they're not Christian. And that just struck me, because I knew a girl from a, a, a group I was in, um, who worked at Planned Parenthood and became a Christian. And even though there's a lot of conflict there, can you be a Christian and be so misguided and still believe in something as awful as abortion? And I think you can. But I think as you get to know the truth, God will pull you out, as he did this girl, from the Planned Parenthood. You see, she she was seeing things differently, and then as she got to know the truth, the clarity became relevant in her mind, and it moved her from a place. But it didn't stop her from accepting that truth. And so, but boy, you should have seen the fireworks started on that conversation. You know, Um, and what's amazing how gracious God is to me for all, because who knows what things I believe that are skewed. I don't know, because I believe them, you know, I mean, but... The whole point is we we have to have the the important thing and, and that's who jesus is that that's the heart of what it is. All the other things you know develop afterwards you know it's as you look through history, the history of our our faith is just littered with atrocities in the name of Jesus, you know what people did, and it's like how can you call yourself you know Christians and do something like that? you know, but they did. And I do, were they Christian? I, that's not my call. You know, I'm not there to judge them, but boy, that, that just, you know, even like the Reformation, Calvin approved, you know, a man being put to death because of his belief on the Trinity and child baptism. That's a little strict if you ask me, you know, what do you believe about the Trinity? Ha, sorry, you got to die. You know what I mean? It's like, Okay, yeah, I might not call you, you know, my brother in faith if you have a misconception about God, but I'm not going to kill you. But, you know, they did. And so it's sad that those things take place in the name of Jesus, but Christ is real clear on what needs to happen. And that's the identity of who he is and our connection to him. And, And that's really important. The closer we get to Jesus, I believe the closer we'll get to all these other truths. The closer you get to Christ, the the closer you'll be able to see the atrocities of abortion and the things that take place or slavery and the things that have taken place in history and a number of things. The closer you get to God and the closer we see, the more clearly we see God in the person of Jesus gives us insight into the character of God, more fully. And I think that's really important. At the same time, we need to be willing to look at ourselves like the Pharisees weren't and see, am I living a life that is in line with the person of Jesus? Or am I using him for my purpose, you know, using it, calling myself Christian so I can get, you know, prestige or I can get, you know, a discount at the... I don't know. Do they give you a discount anywhere for me? You know, I don't know. Um, or, well, it's, it's amazing because when people know that I am a Christian because I've been in churches, how many people come to the door and say, well, you're a Christian, so you need to give me something. You know, you need to give me food. You need to give me money. You need to give me something because you're a Christian. And so they assume that... We have to do that because, well, you're a Christian, so you need to do this for me. And it's like, well, you're a Christian too. Why don't you do that for me? Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I could use some help. Um, anyway, we're, we're digressing. And I see kids running outside. So let's pray and finish the cake. Lord, thank you again for the powerful truths, Lord, that just shake us to our foundation, Lord. Um, We are confronted with your words here and have to digest them, and they're difficult. Jesus, what you say is overwhelming, and it causes us to pause, and it's meant to, and we start to see why you are so cryptic in the way you would talk, because you didn't want us to believe the wrong things. About who you are. And you push us to a place where we have to see you as you really are and as you claim to be. And that you don't leave a lot of wiggle room to to make adjustments, that we either accept what you say or we can't. But the truth is what sets us free. And we find our lives set free when we do follow after you we find the burden of sin taken away we find the purpose and direction of life restored we we find our lives made whole because of who you are and what you've done for us and so lord we have this decision to make and may we live that life may we honor you may we do the things that please you may we be, even as you are, the light of this world because of who you are to us. And we thank you for this time. Lord, bless everyone here, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.